we had to try and figure out how to give these bikes away and to like who got what bike. And so the process was pretty randomized. Um, and, you know, people would be able to take a key from the small um, pile, from the medium pile or the large pile. And it, so they would get a number and they would go find their bike. And I think that was a really interesting way of doing like selling bicycles um and especially because it's more about the idea and that like oh maybe the person beside you got like the color you wanted or the yeah. like slightly like higher quality higher quality one but you got this one and you're all like connected through this project and this idea and um people really like responded well to it and it was like this kind of awesome party just celebrating an idea, kind of this this physical artifact that was kind of a representation of this idea, so it was quite neat. That was Leanne Perry and Ian Frank of the Plain Bicycle Project talking about the experience of getting the Dutch bicycles into the hands of their customers. Unlike purchasing a bicycle from a bike shop, the customers here were kind of unsure of what they were going to receive. But the collective experience felt by everybody at the launch party was so unique and it was different than any other experience you'd have buying a bicycle the typical way. And the people there weren't simply buying a bicycle. They had bought into the plan. They were buying into adopting a more simple, everyday approach to cycling. And many of them had likely been looking for a bicycle like this for years and unable to find one. Riding this bicycle in their city might be a catalyst for change for someone else. They might see them riding to the grocery store or to work and think, hey, if that's what cycling is like, I could probably do that too. I'm Erin Riediger, and this is Plain Bicycle. I'm Leanne Perry. My name's Andrew Swanson. Uh, my name's Ian Frank. My name's Torrin Swanson. My name is uh, Herbert Timmons. My name is Melissa Bruntlett. And I'm Chris Brillett. I'm Dan Ryle. My name is Jenny Sawatsky, and I am part of the Plain Bicycle Project. This is not a bike shop. This is a this is a culture bomb. It's a North American-wide problem that cycling is still seen as sport and not transport. Oh, I'm coming to the Netherlands because I want to introduce to import Dutch bicycles. So you've promised them, and then you go over, and you only have three months to do it, and then halfway through, you're you've basically got two percent of the bikes you needed. I've waited and waited for this bike, and I am thrilled. I'm thrilled beyond belief. Part 4. Not your typical consumer experience. Where we left off, the bicycles were in a shipping container, coming from the Port of Montreal to Winnipeg on a train. The team now had to prepare to get the bicycles ready as quickly as possible and turn them over to the owners that had been waiting for them. They were also hoping to attract enough attention from the launch and the bikes hitting the street that it would be possible to do the project again. The group was able to draw energy from their community to help complete the project in Winnipeg and get the bicycles to their customers. Ian Frank of the Plain Bicycle Project recalls this experience. Well, it was neat too, like, like the kind of community support we had around it. Like the shipping container arrived and when it was about to arrive, we're like, well, where are we going to put the bikes? And like the forks let us use a box car. We moved them all to the, the parking garage underneath the train tracks. We're like 
overnight just like fixing bikes changing tires doing all stuff like like so many friends came and like helped mm-hmm. and just like oh yeah i'll come we'll come out and have a beer and change like pump up some tires straighten some handlebars some like, of do the this, customers do yeah customers like people were just Multiple so customers came and helped people were just so excited to like kind of get their hands on it and, and kind of be part of this thing and like we were at at the, at the bar with all these bikes and people are just walking by just like what is going on like what is this and you know it's just like you drew, it just drew people in after multiple nights in a row of bicycle repair cram sessions the launch party leanne and ian spoke to at the top of the episode took place the setting was the forks a large outdoor gathering space in downtown winnipeg where the two rivers meet people who had committed to buying a dutch bicycle before even knowing if this project was possible, we're now getting their piece of Dutch transportation culture. Music played, new friends were made, and overall the project was a great success. We got rid of all the bikes, or gave away all the bikes to people who had bought, and then you know we kind of went back underneath the, uh, the train tracks where we had our little workshop space and, and celebrated a bit. So it was a pretty, pretty fun event for sure. After the success of round one of the Plain Bicycle Project, the group knew they wanted to do it again. They had a wait list on their website that was growing day by day of people interested in participating. So they decided to launch a survey to see if they should duplicate the project or do something else. So a lot of the, we had a really, um, right after, uh, like, the, the launch of uh, the first round, we had a lot of media attention. You know, there was a real kind of groundswell of support. And so we got a lot of people on the wait list kind of right after that happened. You know, fast forward a year and a bit later, almost two years later, like quite a while later. So we're not really sure if this wait list means anything. We know we have this huge long wait list. We don't really know if it means anything. We had, Anders, Leanne, and I had been really playing with this idea of let's do it again. How are we going to do it? When are we going to do it? You know, like the three of us in Winnipeg are trying to strategize what kind of mm-hmm. uh, shipping container this would look right. like this time. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden Dan's like, I'm going to go to the Utrecht and just see if it'll work out. And then the day he arrives, he's like, okay, it's happening. And we're like, yeah. okay, we've got a week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so- now We've been like, we've been all like for the last like six months, months, 18 months, we've been like, we've been working on kind of like, we've run all the financials, we've done, well, should we do a super low cost bike that, you know, like we bring in parts and you fix it yourself or do we do a kind of more similar to last time where it's used, but we fix it up or, you know, do we do use a new bike and we had all these sort of like, should we do a mix of all these things, trying to figure out what the, what's the best way to get the most bikes on the road here. And then Dan just goes, yeah, yeah, yeah we're just going to happen. Yeah. And we're like, okay. Uh, we... Actually, honestly, before we, like, before, before we, we, we really knew that, like, that there was going to be possible, he had already taken apart, like, 20 of them. <laughs> and then by the time our board met to have an emergency meeting to see if we could basically flow the risk of having, so this time we changed it. This time, each person who is signing up is like half of it is like like hope we'll see hopefully and they're they not going to get their money back. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, and that, they, so yeah. that we don't have a heart attack. Yeah. Also, well, Winnipeg Drill doesn't lose his shirt. And Winnipeg Drill doesn't mm-hmm. go up in flames. So that's... It will no longer exist. That's yeah. Well, the first time it would have been... Yeah, would it have been Winnipeg Trails? It would have been kind of... No. Well, it would have been kind of Winnipeg Trails, but Winnipeg Trails didn't... It would have been us, because Winnipeg Trails didn't really have anything. Yeah, no, oh, okay. it, it was my PayPal account. Yeah. In okay. my name, mm-hmm. whatever, at that point. Yeah. Technically. Yeah. And then we gave the money back to... When Big Joe's bought it, and so, but the point is, yeah. like the first time, it was like yeah, heart attack, but the, the, at least the organization was involved. This time, the organization would be still involved if nobody signed up. Is the problem, and we're and we Dan's like, what he basically got permission to do was go in the lot where they have these stacks of bikes just waiting, and go and start working until. Uh, so it turns out the best thing to do is to just have a truck back up grab as many of things, have permission from them to drive them straight from their thing into their, um, and, and, and send them back to Canada. And then that, and then we'll deal with everything here, which is how it ended up working out. Yeah. But by that point, we, we hadn't had any, anybody pledged to do it. No, nobody had actually given we us had money. We launched it. We <laughs> launched it. Um, we only launched it the day that, that, uh, Well, then we had problems with our PayPal door. account and all these things. We couldn't even like launch it quite when we wanted to. And right. It's all... So now that it's launched, how, have you had a lot of commitment? Or yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're at about 90, I think. Yeah. And what's and the max? We're hoping for 130. Like, we're going to kind of cap it off at 130. The first day, it was like... Really? That's and great. And there was sort of some bumps along, but like, yeah, it was... We wasted a lot big. of time. <laughs> like, we, we, I guess with, with you have to prepare for what's the word about announcing preparation or whatever, but like... We had scenarios of like, okay, oh, yeah. so nobody buys a bike between now and June. 20 people buy a bike between now and June. 60 people or whatever. And we're already at 90 like after a week. So mm-hmm. we're okay. Interestingly, that that um, shipment is coming through the Panama Canal and Vancouver. So, so we have a little bit of extra time yeah, before it even right. gets to the yeah. gets to the border for people to sign up yeah. mm-hmm. beyond the team. Yeah. yeah. When I first spoke to the group at this stage in the project... I didn't own my own Dutch bicycle, and I hadn't signed up. I actually didn't intend to buy one. You see, I already ride an upright bicycle, and I do use it for everyday tasks like going to work and the grocery store, so I didn't really think that I needed one. But then when I thought more about it, this was the type of bicycle that I always wanted. I could just never find it, so I settled for a similar upright bike that didn't quite have all the components I wanted. After learning more about the bikes and what they represent, I just knew I wanted to buy in. That evening, I decided to join in the risk and sign up for the project. Uh, Okay, so I'm gonna go to the Plain Bicycle Project website, plainbicycle.org. And I'm about to purchase my very own Dutch bike that's actually from the Netherlands. This is actually quite exciting. So I'm clicking sign up to get a wonderful bike this summer. So what I'm going to do is put down a deposit of 175 Canadian dollars um, so I can get my bike. I understand uh, right now the bicycles have actually been packed up in the storage container and are starting to make their way to Winnipeg already. I called Dan Ryle and Jenny Sawatsky shortly after they left Utrecht and returned to Germany. I asked about how they ended up being involved with round two of the Plain Bicycle Project and how the experience went for them. How did that start? I think it was really just 
a lot of dreaming in, in an iMessage group between <laughs> um, Anders and Ian and Leanne and us um, about, hey, Jenny and Dan, you guys are in Germany. Yeah, maybe we can make this happen. We also had planned that everyone would come here and, and we'd all do it, but that, that didn't um, end up working out. But Jenny and I were just like, well, <laughs> let's just give it a shot. I mean, we can try. Um, so I had holidays because I was, I was teaching and we had spring break. So Jenny and I decided to to go to the Netherlands, and we got on a a, a nighttime Flix bus and arrived in Utrecht at like four a.m. Um, and then went and had a nap in the park until the sun came up, um, and then went straight to what's called the Fietspond, um, where we knew we could. Uh, well, previously we had kind of worked out deals that we could get bikes, um, so we went there, met up with a friend Herbert Tiemens. Um, spoke to the the manager i guess or the owner i'm not i'm not sure of his actual role or his title um and kind of was just asking you know can we make this happen do you have the bikes can we park a shipping container in your yard can we take the bikes apart in the yard <laughs> and um to every question was just oh yeah no problem no problem and we're like okay really okay we might be able to make this work so yeah we we were camping went back to the feast fund and then worked for i guess so five days kind of collecting the bikes that we wanted um, and preparing them for, for transport. Um, and then at the same time, working with Anders and Ian and Leanne in Winnipeg with this massive time difference, organizing the logistics and very last minute um, shipping container and putting it on a ship and making sure that the truck can fit in the yard. And it was all very last minute, but thankfully everything ended up working okay and I think the bikes are almost in Canada, I think, today. Um, yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so the Fietzbund has uh, a shop where they fix up some of the bikes and sell them. And then they also have a lot that is filled with rows of bikes. And the rows have about, uh, I think, 100. 100 bikes in each row. And they're all organized uh, by type. And so basically he said, these two rows are Omofeets. These are yours. These are yours. <laughs> take them apart Here's right there. There's a little there. section where you can take them apart. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the, the, the feet spunt is right adjacent to um, the feet depot. Yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Which is the actual city's yard for all of the bikes that they're getting for parking violations and, and whatever else. And then the feet spunt will buy them in these auctions, um, which is mm -hmm. probably an important thing. So in Winnipeg, we have an auction, like the police auction for bikes once a year, I think, if I'm not mistaken. In Utrecht, it's every other week. Um, they have enough bikes that they can have an auction. And the Feet Spunt will buy a bunch. Um, and yeah, like Jenny said, they'll fix up a few, and then the rest will end up in this giant lot. Yeah, I don't know. They were really, really nice. We're really grateful for, for what they let us do, because I don't know if that was completely normal, um, being able to work in the lot and, and, and do this kind of stuff. Um, Super big thanks to the Feet Spunt and, and Rude and Martin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think um, in my mind, I expected that there'd be a container on the ground uh, at human level, easy to walk in and put a bike down and create piles very <laughs> easily <laughs> somehow. And my ideas of, of what it was supposed to look like is a lot like Jenny's. And I think <laughs> that's probably working off of how Anders, Leanne, and Torrin did it two years prior. Yeah. Um, where they had a lot of time and they had the shipping container on the ground, which we had hoped to be able to do. Um, but unfortunately, because of 
I guess, logistics and just the time frame that wasn't possible. So, yeah, it ended up just being that the shipping container, the 40-foot-long shipping container on a semi-truck um, backed into the parking lot. That We should say that the bikes have not... Last time the bikes were fixed in the Netherlands, this time we were just kind of hucking the bikes into the shipping container and they'll be fixed upon getting to Canada. Um, yeah. So we had a little bit more of... Um, yeah, we could be a little bit rougher on the bikes this time, which was definitely with the two-hour time limit, we had to load that thing with all those bikes. That was great. That <laughs> <laughs> we could be a bit rough. Yeah. I think we thought that the hardest part would be um, taking apart the bikes if they mm -hmm. were maybe sitting at the bottom of the canal for two years. Um, but that proved just very simple in relation to logistics, international shipping, and not having any idea how to do any of that. Because um, at the last minute when the doors are about to be closed and they're like, oh, do you have the bill of lading? Sorry, bill of what? Um, and then kind of throwing one of those together last minute, um, so which is just kind of like an itemized list of everything in the container. Um, so that was one thing. Um, um, and then the other one, the other thing that was uh, another last minute kind of surprise was if the doors close, you need to have a lock on the shipping container. Um, so nobody can get into it. And we're like, haha, okay, a lock. Hmm. We don't have one of those. Um, so what ended up happening is we used one of the, um, I don't know if you want to call it a ring lock or a frame lock, but those, the locks that go on Dutch bicycles that mount onto the frame and a bunch of zip ties. Um, <laughs> so that's what the, and there's only one key and it's sitting in my pocket. And, <laughs> um, so I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe, are you going to mail it to them or are you going to get the key to they, them? They, the guy, the, the, the truck driver told me that they would just cut it off. So I was like, okay, okay yeah, well, customs might have to cut it off. To makes open it sense, up. but so they'll put a new lock on it. I guess right. anybody could just cut it off too, but yeah, there's a ring lock. It's pretty cool. Yeah. There's pros and cons to being there when it arrives because one, yeah, <laughs> cool to see those bikes come out, but two, I don't really want to have, to have anything to do with that shipping container and unloading it because it's a mess. <laughs> and you know how you packed it. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing things in. Yeah, it's going to be a spider web of jumbled steel yeah, yeah. <laughs> and rubber. Yeah, Not as easy as last time to get them out. A few weeks later, the shipping container had arrived. They did a great job of this. I went to the warehouse to see a large semi-truck backed up into the warehouse doors. Ian Frank, Leanne Perry, and Anders Swanson were pulling down large stacks of bicycles, untangling them, and running them bike by bike deeper into the warehouse space. Don't, don't, don't ding this one, that's Aaron's. <laughs> the group only had two hours. Dan and Jenny had packed so efficiently that they had a lot of work cut out for them, untangling the mass of steel and spokes within the limited time frame. Once the bicycles were unpacked, they'd have to move them to the third floor, where the building owner gave them space to repair the bikes and get them ready for their new owners. 
they are only able to work in the building during business hours. And since this is a volunteer-run project taking place in the summer, they thought it would take at least a month to complete all this work. They all look so good, like even the yeah, rough like, ones. I think they're better. Better than last better time? Than last time. Yeah. Well, because Dan was over there. Right. And he done he did a lot of repairs on last time, so he had some idea of what. Yeah. The the second round of this was uh, really awesome for me and Leanne because we didn't have to do anything um, when it arrived. Like most, we just no, we did. We had we had a lot of like late nights and stuff getting the the website ready and every doing everything in a real hurry. But it was just such a so awesome to just see this thing show up from the Netherlands that we didn't have to do any sourcing of and it was just like kind of exactly like the last time except for more of them and 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 really jammed in there like completely full um and the and knowing that it only took those guys like six days to kind of make that happen like the the fact that it could become more replicable it, it made a lot of the stress I think from the first time um be quite a bit more worth it because anything gets easier the second time you do it Theoretically, except for maybe being a rock band or something, but oh, this, is, this one is a beauty. This is an original, old one. Oh, it's an old gazelle. Old gazelle, yeah. This is a, this is kind of more of a touring sports tour bike. Nice. I thought it was also nice. Um, I forget his name the now, but driver. the truck driver too, because he was like. Like I was like, I remember he was sitting there and I was like, do you have, are you the truck with the bikes? Cause he was kind of not in the right spot. And he's like, uh, I don't know. And I was like, okay. Uh, and then for uh, Winnipeg Trails playing bicycle project, he's like, checks like, yeah, that sounds right. And I was like, okay. He's like, there's bikes there. And it's like, yeah, there's a lot of bikes. There's a few. <laughs> and we needed to get him to help like open it because the, it was a lock we had to bust and all this stuff. But anyways, and then the funny part was that the, uh, but by the time like we were all hanging out, and because of this, like uh, the uh, the newspaper wanted to interview him for whatever reason, and it was the first time he ever been in the paper. He's really stoked, and like <laughs> it was really nice. Yeah, yeah. Every so I guess what I mean by that little that story is just that everybody along the way, like because of the type of project it was, has been like opening doors for us, and so we're really grateful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The second shipment of bicycles will increase the visibility of everyday cycling on Winnipeg streets. Someone riding a plain bicycle to work or to the store, instead of driving, might inspire others who see this person. They may see them casually riding in normal clothing and think they could see themselves riding that way. I spoke to Melissa Brentlett and Chris Brentlett, authors of Building the Cycling City, the Dutch Blueprint for Urban Vitality, about how they thought that Dutch cycling may translate into the North American context. Well, and I think that leads to another reason why it's been so successful here and why it could still be very successful in North America that you point to is it would it'd be faster for you to go by bike and you'd be more comfortable doing it all, all year round if you were given safe space to do that. Um, but here, I, people, it's funny because when we travel longer distances, people think we're crazy. And we, we cycle from city to city. They're like, why would you do that? There's a train that does that for you. <laughs> you don't need to. The bike here is meant to get you to the grocery store five minutes from your house, to school, to, um, yeah, to anywhere in between. It becomes the tool 
for the like, easiest way of tra- transporting yourself around the city to places within, you know, five, ten kilometers, not even ten. Yeah, I would say three to five kilometers. Three to five kilometers from your house. Um, where I think we for- we've forgot that over the years in North America. And it's something that we started to realize more and more as we started cycling more often in Vancouver is how much closer everything got when we started to ride by bike and riding with the kids to the community center down the street was a lot easier than walking. It's given, depending on the infrastructure that was there. Um, and I think that there's an, such an opportunity, especially in even smaller Canadian cities and U.S. cities, you know, looking away from that trip to work and that longer trip that you tend to do in your day and start looking at how do we get people from their homes to the corner store to pick up milk or to the near grocery store to do a small shop. How do we get the kids to school? I know there's a lot of work being done towards that, but it's not with that lens of working on those smaller trips. And I think that would be really helpful. And it's what made, what's made cycling quite successful here. I think. I mean, at the end of the day, and we stress this in all the work that we do, it's not about banning cars and abolishing cars from our mm-hmm. streets. I mean, here in the Netherlands, they, love their cars, they drive just as much as any of the surrounding countries, the rate of car ownership is around the same as in the UK or France or Belgium, um, but the car just has a place, and that's for, you know, trips of 10, 15, 20 kilometers rather than the trip to the, the grocery store, and um, people have a choice, and, and we, uh, at least in North America, um, have all these choices when it comes to the food we eat and the products that we consume. But when it comes to our mobility, we seem to have built cities that have taken that choice away and you mm-hmm. need to own and operate a car in order to be a functioning member of society. And uh, that uh, is obviously detrimental for uh, a whole host of different reasons, not the least of which is um, our health. And, and um, if there's any number of reasons to start doing this, uh, be it climate change, be it, social cohesion, be it um, improving our quality of life. Um, it should also be that um, we've designed physical activity out of everything we do and uh, only the people that can cram in their gym time um, can stay fit and uh, we should be encouraging people to, to get out and get more active. And, and if that's just a 15-minute roll to work or school or the corner store, uh, then so be it. Um, it's a, a win, 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 win. As, yeah. far as, as far as we're concerned, there are very few drawbacks to, to enabling that. It's like I've heard Anders say before. It's about using the right tool for the job. There are a lot of these everyday trips we take to the corner store or to a friend's place that could actually be easily achieved by bicycle. It'd be fairly simple for people in North American cities to begin to design physical activity back into the tasks we do and improve our quality of life. A while later, I returned to the warehouse in Winnipeg's Point Douglas neighborhood to see Dan Ryle and Jenny Sawatsky in the process of sorting through and preparing the bicycles to meet their new owners. It was really exciting to walk through the warehouse and see a full floor of stacked Dutch bicycles. Since all the bicycles are previously owned, they all have their unique character. Some of them have sloppy paint jobs so the owners could see them better when they parked it at a train station. Others have multiple broken bells, and some have stickers or decals. But all these little unique things start to reveal clues about what the previous owner might have been like. I asked Jenny to show me some of the bicycles that she was fond of. It has three bells, but only 
one works, I think. So somebody just kept adding them. <laughs> this one's nice. You must feel bad for the person that lost this one. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Came right out of the Perfect. Walking through the warehouse with Dan, I noticed the distinct shape of the Dutch bike and how it was different from the upright bicycles that I was used to riding. It's interesting seeing the shape of them like this up close because in the past I kind of think when you're, you see pictures of them, I've seen them there, mm -hmm. but then when you come home and I see my bike, I'm like, my bike's pretty close to a Dutch bike, it's upright, you know, but it, it's really like the frame shape is quite different yeah. and they are, um, the handlebars are yes. wider, um, the frame does swoop down in a different way and they're kind of, the proportions I guess are a little bit larger, the stem yes. goes up higher. Yeah. Because um, when you when you actually really see one side by side with a bike like mine, which is the North American version of an upright, mm -hmm. you start to notice those um, those yep. differences. For sure, for sure, in the geometry and uh, yeah, the handlebars too, especially the height. For sure, mm -hmm. the height of the handlebars, the width of them, I guess, the return. Yeah, and how much they uh, come back towards whoever's riding. Mm -hmm. For sure, for sure. I walked through the warehouse with Dan and asked him to explain to me the process of sorting the bicycles and how they were going to fix them up for their new owners. Um, and what that looks like is they start in the basement, we bring them up in this crazy old shop elevator, um, and then there's two piles. One, one pile that still has locks on because all these bikes were never, the locks were never cut off, most of them just came straight from wherever they were parked and because the locks, the way they exist is that nothing ever gets locked to anything. Usually they're just locked to themselves. So you can just pick it up and take it somewhere. Um, so there's never really a need to cut the locks off. Um, so anything without a lock will go into a pile over here um, next to one of the work stands and um, they'll either be taken apart for parts or fixed up depending on its condition. Um, the ones with the lock will head over to another corner over here where we have a, a grinder and um, we'll angle grind whatever lock there is off of it and then it'll end up back in the pile with the other bikes which will be ready to looked at ready to get looked at um, and then this is where the bike will go to a work stand um, we'll check if the tires have air whether they need air and basically the ones that still have air and the lights work usually we're like Okay, this is a this is a low hanging fruit. Let's fix this first. Let's get these out of the way. Um, so it's really just pumping up the tire, um, turning the wrench a couple times at the handlebars, putting the pedals back on. Uh, take it for a spin. Um, if everything feels solid, um, even if there's like maybe it needs still a little bit tune up, we'll pass it off to another pile um, where it'll be finalized, get a lock put on, tuned up. Um, and out of here. The ones that don't pass the initial inspection usually means um, they need some form of expertise um, or parts and then they'll end up in another pile which right now we're waiting for our parts. Um, we only have a limited amount so um, some bikes don't even make it to stage two where they're waiting for parts. Some of them end up in this pile over here which is the sad pile. Um, <laughs> It's hard to put a bike there, um, and these bikes are the ones that have frame damage, so there's no way to save them. Um, so what will happen with these bikes is they'll just be, they become donors, really. So their parts will be taken off of them, put onto a new bike, 
and be allowed to live again. Um, not really sure what we'll do with the frames. We're thinking of making cargo bikes out of them, but um, yeah. This one actually is a little bit of a funny story, maybe. I can talk about that one real quick. So this one came off the pile. Lights, still working. Um, tires, still full of air. And I was thinking, oh man, this is a really good one. Can't wait to, I mean, you really have to turn the wrench twice, not even, um, and take it for a spin. So I fixed it up, even tuned it, because I was thinking, oh, this one's amazing. And then took it for a ride um, and noticed really quickly that the frame, although it looks perfect, is actually bent. Um, so riding this thing, one wheel is kind of like, probably five centimeters further to the right than the back one, um, which feels pretty weird. So sadly, this one ended up in the donor pile, which is all around a really great bicycle. I was pretty sad to put that one there. It may be hard to imagine why we'd feel so bad for these bikes that can't be ridden anymore. To look at their rusty frames and mismatched accessories is to know that they've already been ridden for many kilometers, likely spanning multiple decades and multiple owners. But perhaps that's why it is sad. These bicycles have touched so many lives and traveled so far. It's like all of these bicycles have souls. You can sense that they were loved and passed down. And now they would take on all new meaning for people on a different continent. It was now time for a new crop of Winnipeggers to receive their piece of everyday bike culture and expand the influence of the Plain Bicycle Project. With more Oma feats on the streets, more people would start to see how easy it is to get around by bicycle. Next time on Plain Bicycle. But all these all these bicycles have 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 souls really because they've been outside and they've been used by people for uh, most of them at least a decade, um, some of them more, and you can tell by looking at some of them. Yeah, we want to keep bringing bikes until we find a, a solution here to not have to bring something over the over the ocean. I don't think that we're going to see the change that we want to see in cities. Um, outside the Netherlands and outside Copenhagen in terms of increasing the mode share if we don't make cycling not niche anymore. If people can't feel like they're joining some sort of crusade by getting on a bike every time. They want to just feel like this is just a practical way to get around. Thank you for listening to Plain Bicycle. Plain Bicycle is an independently written, recorded, and produced podcast by myself, Erin Riediger. You can follow me on Twitter at Aaron Riediger. Follow at Plain Bicycle Podcast on Instagram for visuals to accompany this episode. Visit the Plain Bicycle Project on Twitter at Plain Bicycle, Instagram at Plain.Bicycle, or their website, PlainBicycle.org. Please spread the word by subscribing, downloading, rating, and reviewing this podcast. A key resource for this podcast was Building the Cycling City, the Dutch Blueprint for Urban Vitality by Melissa and Chris Brentlett. Please visit the episode post on Instagram for additional resources and thank yous. Anything gets easier the second time you do it, theoretically, except for maybe being a rock band or something, but... <laughs>